Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word. Uh, We're not putting the text on the screens because there's a lot of it here in Genesis. So you'll find it on pages 34 and 35 in the Black Pew Bibles in front of you. Before we hear God's Word, let's pray together. Lord, you brought Joseph through things we can scarcely imagine. And yet you did it all for one reason, to preserve the chosen seed that you promised in Genesis 3.15, that the Savior would come and crush the head of the serpent. Praise God that we live in that time where that heel-crushing ministry of the Savior is going on. So lift Him up before us in the life of Joseph this morning, we pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Genesis 41, beginning at verse 1, this is God's holy, inspired, and therefore inerrant word. After two whole years, Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile. And behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by the other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows, and Pharaoh awoke, and he fell asleep and dreamed a second time, and behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing on one stalk. And behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump, full ears, and Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So... In the morning, his spirit was troubled, and he sent and called for all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but there was none who could interpret them to Pharaoh. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember my offenses today. When Pharaoh was angry with his servants and put me and the chief baker in custody, In the house of the captain of the guard, we dreamed on the same night, he and I, each having a dream with its own interpretation. A young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph, and they quickly brought him out of the pit, and when he had shaved himself and changed his clothes, he came in before Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I have had a dream, and there is no one who can interpret it. I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Behold, in my dream I was standing on the banks of the Nile. Seven cows, plump and attractive, came up out of the Nile and fed in the grass. Seven other cows came up after them, poor and very ugly and thin, such as I had never seen in all the land of Egypt. And the thin, ugly cows ate up the first seven plump cows, but when they had eaten them, no one would have known that they had eaten them, for they were still as ugly as at the beginning." Then I awoke. I also saw in my dream seven ears growing on one stalk, full and good. Seven ears withered thin and blighted by the east wind sprouted after them, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven good ears. 
And I told it to the magicians, but there was no one who could explain it to me. And then Pharaoh said to, Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears are seven years. The dreams are one. The seven lean and ugly cows that came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty ears blighted by the east wind are also seven years of famine. It is as I told Pharaoh, God has shown to Pharaoh what he is about to do. There will come seven years of great plenty throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them there will arise seven years of famine, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt. The famine will consume the land, and the plenty will be unknown in the land by reason of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. And the doubling of Pharaoh's dream means that the thing is fixed by God, and God will shortly bring it about. Now, Therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years. And let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. The food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that are to occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through the famine. The grass withers, the flowers fall, but the word of the living God will stand forever and ever. Thanks be to God. Amen. Please be seated. Going through this life of Joseph, coming now to Genesis 41 and Here Joseph's been in prison. Here he's had all of these terrible twists and turns in his life, but don't don't forget to zoom out and remember where we are. This is the first book of the Bible. The story of Joseph is the last story in the first book. It is setting up everything that follows. So no detail is inconsequential. Nothing God writes here for us is unimportant. As I was reading this text this week, we, uh, Callie and I came across a meme. Um, It was the... uh, Jimmy Fallon show and his greatest hits of him doing his musical interpretations, they were great. The best one he did, in my opinion, was Bob Dylan. Now, Bob Dylan was not known for having a great singing voice, but he did write songs that were hugely important to a shifting culture in the 1960s. Maybe the most important one he wrote was The Times They Are A-Changing. Here's how that song opens. Come mothers and fathers throughout the land. And don't criticize what you can't understand. Your sons and daughters are beyond your command. Your old road is rapidly aging. Please get out of the new one if you can't lend a hand, for the times they are a-changing. So that song, I think 1967, captured that cultural revolutionary moment in our country's history. Notice it's anti-authority. You mothers and fathers, your road is rapidly aging. If you can't lend a hand, get out of the way, for the times they are changing. Anti-authority, culture's changing, lead follower, get out of the way. Here's the irony. I don't think Bob Dylan realized when he penned that song 
that he was actually trotting and treading the same old road that people have been treading for thousands of years. It wasn't a cultural revolution. It was a revival and the beginning of a revival of paganism. That's what we're learning about in this text this morning. So here's what I want us to see. God teaches us the failure of paganism in this part of Joseph's story and the truth of Christianity. That's the contrast. He's going to teach us about the failure of paganism set in contrast with the truth of Christianity. Here will be our two headings. First of all, paganism is impotent. It's powerless. It seems powerful, but it's impotent. Paganism is impotent, and then in the second place, Christianity is irresistible. Christianity is irresistible. So first of all then, paganism is impotent. This story is pretty straightforward, and it begins on a note that doesn't seem very hopeful. After two whole years, you see how Moses wrote that? He wants to emphasize, we're about 13 years into Joseph's story right now. He's been rotting in a prison for two years after he had that promise from one of Pharaoh's officers, yes, I'll remember you. And two years later, two more years of waiting, two more years of suffering, all of a sudden, God sends a dream to Pharaoh. And notice what's happening here. Joseph's dreams got him in this pit. His clothing got him in this pit. Once again, dreams get him out, and he's clothed. Moses is weaving these strands together to teach us a coherent narrative, a coherent whole of a story. But underneath the surface, if we just read this as Joseph having some unusual talent given to him by God to interpret dreams, we'll miss the point. So we need a little bit of background about what's going on in Egyptian religion at this time. Egyptian religion was built around Pharaoh. He was a semi-divine person. This is why they built pyramids for Pharaoh's tombs. No aliens did not build them. Egyptians built them and built them well. Why? Why is it the shape of a triangle, a pyramid? Because in ancient religions, from Sumeria to Egypt to Babylon, there was this myth of a mountain at the center of the earth where the gods met with the earth. That was, that's what Pharaoh was considered. That's why they built pyramids like many mountains. So Pharaoh was seen as the one to whom God spoke directly. And the magicians and wise men, as we saw last time, they, they could make a really good living. But here's the catch. When they were called upon to give an interpretation, it better come to pass or they could be killed. Okay, so this is a dangerous but lucrative profession for these magicians and wise men. And then Pharaoh has these dreams. They're called upon and they can't interpret it. Guess what they're going home feeling like? Hey, sweetie, don't worry about what's for dinner. I might not be alive tomorrow. Okay? That's probably the conversation that went around the dinner table that night for the priests and magicians and wise men of Egypt. But now God begins to show us how he's working here. The cupbearer says, oops, my bad, forgot that I was supposed to do this. There's a young Hebrew. That would have been dismissed. What could this Hebrew possibly teach the most powerful man in the ancient world? But Pharaoh's desperate. So he calls up Joseph, 
Notice that Joseph's brought out of the pit. He's been thrown in the pit. He's been thrown in the pit prison. He's been in the palace. Now he's going up a step. He's clothed and he's brought to Pharaoh. Now why do we think about paganism here? Because it's the world's oldest religion. Because it's the conflict of our time. Because it's the conflict of your heart and of mine and of everybody you know today. And the essential basis of pagan teaching, the reason why they believed this, the reason why Egypt thought they were the most powerful country to ever walk the face of the earth and always would be, is because they had this fundamental belief that all is ultimately one. One circle reality, we could call it. That's the worldview, okay? This is what's symbolized, for instance, in the yin and yang. One circle, black and white, symbolizing good and evil being equally ultimate. Okay? All is one. Good is not greater than evil. All is in this one circle. You have to grasp this. Everything's interconnected. My wife and I uh, had a chance to be in Charleston this week, and we were in an art gallery, and there was this very famous local South Carolina artist And the title of the exhibit was The Circle of Life. Elton John, you know, from the Disney movie Lion King, The Circle of Life, All is One. And what did the opening thing on the uh, opening caption on the exhibit said? We're all energy. Okay? We're all part of the same energy. That will sell today, folks. That will preach today. Okay? All is one, not new. Back here in Egypt, back in ancient Babylon, back in ancient Samaria, back in ancient Egypt, back in ancient Native American tribal religions, African religions, Chinese religions, all is one. The only people in the history of the world who have not bought into that worldview were the Hebrews and the Christian scriptures that came from the Old Testament. They taught from the outset, that's how this book begins, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All is two, as one author put it. There's the one circle of God, Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and then there's creation. He's separate. He transcends it. He's outside of it, but he relates to it. Biggest difference in all of world history, this is the conflict of our time. You will never understand any of the other ideological conflicts until you grasp this basic distinction. Okay? That worldview of all is one is what Pharaoh's operating from. So, here's what God's up to at this point. Pharaoh, Egypt, you think you're powerful? I'm about to use somebody from a prison to not only save your people, but show you how impotent your gods are. And oh, by the way, did you notice those two little words that were repeated three times in these 36 verses, east wind? You know where else we're going to read those words? In Exodus 12, when the Red Sea is parted, how was it parted as Moses held up his staff? By an east wind. You know why Moses wrote this down here as he's telling the ancient Israelites this story? It's a preview of coming attractions. Because when you look at the plagues of Egypt, each one is targeting a specific God in Egypt. That's why it starts with the Nile, their source of economic might and power, and God says, watch this. God is saying, I will show all the gods of the world to be impotent, powerless, useless. And don't think it just happens in ancient Egypt, friends. 
An idol is not just wood or stone or a river. It could be an idea. This is what you see in the world today. It's why we're doing what we're doing on Wednesday nights. There's an ideological conflict going on, friends. And these ideas stem from false worldviews, false gods, false beliefs. And God says, I will always win. And so He gives Joseph this interpretation. And this is the origins of Jesus, of our whole faith right here, friends. That's why Christianity is irresistible. And here's the main point God wants us to understand about why Christianity is irresistible. It's because He's almighty. It's because He's sovereign. He's sovereign over the hearts of men. Whether it's a cupbearer or a chief baker or a pharaoh, God is showing us the truth of Proverbs 21.1 right here. The king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever He pleases. So He rules in the hearts of men. Whether you're one of the lowliest or the most powerful in the world, God is working in the hearts of everybody to make them and ordain them and steer them wherever He pleases. Nothing in history is an accident. Pharaoh and every subsequent world leader, every king you can think of, from Charles to Edward to George, take your pick, every president, every world leader, every ruler, is simply a pawn on the chessboard of the Almighty. He's moving them as He sees fit. He's orchestrating history in every life that's ever been lived, is being lived, or will be lived for His own wise, sovereign ends. He does it because He can. That's why when the Bible says in the beginning He created, the Maker is the sustainer, is the governor, is the upholder, is the one who gets to do as He pleases with what He makes. Isaiah said it this way, Behold, your Maker is your Savior. And that is what God is telling us right here. He's sovereign He's almighty over the hearts of men. He's sovereign over the hearts of believers. Do you think it would have been tempting for Joseph to be a little bit bitter at this point? I thought these dreams, God, that you gave me were supposed to be fulfilled with my brothers, my mother and my father bowing down to me. And instead, I sit in prison two more years. What were you doing in February 2021? What's happened in your life since then? A whole bunch, I would imagine. Think about Joseph for 24 months. Nothing changes. A stinking, rotting prison, cold, hungry, day after day, with only the promises of God to feed his faith. And he was, God was teaching him a lesson we're all going to have to learn. And this is the lesson Joseph learned. This is why he could come out of the prison and be ready to go. It's not because he's a superman. Don't look at it this way. Joseph's faith is available to you and me. That's what God wants us to see here. He realized that the reality of God's promises was greater than the reality of his circumstances. That's what happened here. That's what he fed his faith on. That's all he had to go on. So when he gets called up by God to serve, it's not bitterness. It's trust. It's faith. 
And notice how he expresses it. Here's Joseph's creed. Pharaoh, you think it's going to be me. You think I'm like one of your wise men. You think I'm like one of your magicians. I am not. It's God, the living God. In Hebrew, Elohim, a God unknown to these people. He's going to be known now. A God unknown, the only Creator God who can give interpretations. Because, oh, by the way, Pharaoh, He gave you the dream. He's sovereign over you. You're not sovereign, Pharaoh. This is, as it were, the Apostles' Creed of Joseph. I believe in God the Father Almighty, Pharaoh, maker of heaven and earth. He's also sovereign over time and space. You ever think about that? Every minute of your life, my friends, every second, every nanosecond, it's in His hands. He can bring famines and wars and illness and pandemics as He sees fit. He's not caught off guard by them. They don't surprise Him. God's not wringing His hands wondering what the next play is. What do I do? It's not how He works. He can also bring plenty and prosperity and blessing. And not just on a worldwide scale, in your life. In my life. There's not a second that's outside of His control, dear friends. And you say, well, what about free will? you You and I have free will, all right. We get to choose according to our desires. And the Bible also talks about that. It says you're either lost or you're saved. And if you're lost, if you're in Adam, Romans 5, 12 to 21, then guess what your desires are for sin? Jeremiah 17, 9. Or excuse me, 13.3, Jeremiah says, Can a leopard change his spots? So then can you do evil who are do good who are accustomed to doing evil. You see, we're all geared that way. That's what you're designed to do, as it were. That's how Adam's sin affects us today. You are enslaved to that. If you're in Christ, then you're freed from that. And you can actually begin to choose the good. Now you may do some good if you're lost, but guess why that happens? Because God causes His reign to fall on the good and the evil. Because God controls everything. And as we're going to say this again and again, you and I are responsible. God is sovereign. The Bible holds those two in tension. We don't make any apologies about it. And I don't know. know how that all works, friends. All I know is what He said. And all I know is that's the only way you're going to explain what's happening in this world, whether in Pharaoh's time or right now. He's sovereign over space and time. Famine's coming. Told you it's going to happen. Repeated it, Pharaoh. Therefore, it's fixed, Joseph says. It's certain. Now then, consider this, my friends. This pit, these clothing items, keep coming up. I want you to stop and think about this. Joseph sent into the desert to find his brothers. There happens to be a guy who knows where his brothers are. 
they throw him in the pit. The Midianite traders happen to be coming by on that exact route to Egypt. They happen to take Joseph. He happens to get bought by Potiphar. He happens to get taken to this house. He happens to get in the prison with the cupbearer and the chief baker who happened to forget him. And now he happens to be before the most powerful person in the world interpreting the dreams about famine. Why? Because of the cross. You and I would never be talking about Christmas if Joseph had not taken that coat from Jacob. You don't get to the cross unless you go through the pits of Egypt, of the deserts in ancient Israel. That's where this is all going. You know why? Because God's going to keep the 12 tribes of Israel alive because he's got to preserve Judah, because out of Judah's line will come the Christ. And he's not done. Remember that seemingly incidental little detail in Matthew's narrative of Jesus before Pilate? Matthew 27, 19. Pilate doesn't know what to do. He's fascinated by Jesus. He's about to release Jesus and Barabbas. What's his wife come and say to him? have nothing to do with this man. Why? Because tonight I've had a dream about him. So from Pharaoh to Pilate's wife, God is at work in dreams to warn the nations, don't mess with my plan. I will bring it to pass. And you think you're sovereign, Pilate. You think you're sovereign, Pharaoh. What looked like weakness was the triumph of the sovereign God on the cross. And it's only when we grasp that, my friends, will the gospel make any sense to you. And here's why God's doing this as we finish up here. You and I, everybody you know, has the choice between these two worldviews. Paganism in all its forms or Christianity. Where do we see paganism today? Let me give you a couple examples. Radical environmentalism. Okay? From the disastrous one-child policy in China to our own birth rates declining at a rapid rate to people having a fanatic view of climate change and world events, all those things. And let me pause and qualify this. Okay? As a Christian, you read Genesis 2, God says take care of the earth. I'm really big on that. Love conservation. Why? Because I like to hunt. And I like taking care of creation. That word that also occurred a bunch, plump. Okay, I want plump pheasants, plump quail, plump deer. You know why? Want to hunt them? Want to eat them. Okay? Love conservation. Want to see our lands taken care of. That's what we're called to do as stewards. We're called to steward it, not worship it. That's what's happening today. Why? Because all is one. We're all energy, dude. We're all energy, man. It's just going to work out. Right? That's where we hear it. We're all just connected. It's just so mystical. It feels good. And it's a lie. And if you think, and if I think, that, that somehow this world's going to spin out of control without God's sovereign hand over it, we are sadly mistaken. No, He's sovereign. 
He'll make sure the earth continues until Jesus comes back and ushers in the new heavens and the new earth. Where else do we see this all is one thinking? Easy example, transgender ideology. The quote-unquote sexual revolution coming to its full circle. Okay? What, that, what is that saying? Well, all is one. And, and here's the thing, guys. If you look back through the history of world religions, every time anthropologists have uncovered new religions, guess what you'll always find? Without exception, doesn't matter what continent you are, what time period you are, you will find in these religions transgenderism, usually by the shaman or the priest, who can be a male or a female or both at once. You'll find homosexual practice. You'll find bestiality. You'll find all kinds of things like this in every single one of them and in Egypt. Why? Because all is one. And you've got to manipulate these gods to get the crops you want, to get the wealth you want. That's what Pharaoh thought. He thought, I'm on top of the world because my gods are better than yours. And don't think it won't happen again. We are witnessing a revival of paganism in our country today that's going to make the great awakenings of Christianity look very bad by comparison. You see, it's not atheism that's on the rise today. No, it's paganism. This is why people are willing to be called spiritual but not religious. This is why astrology is now the number one religion for people under the age of 30 all pagan. And here's the thing God's going to do for all of that. He's going to say, those ideas will fail you. Stars do not determine your destiny. You and I do not get to decide what we want to be in terms of our gender, our sexuality. God fixed that, my friends. And I'm not trying to be unduly offensive. And I'm not trying to be unsympathetic if you wrestle with those things. What we've got to get back to is the world that God made and the way He made it because He says, my plan, my purpose is non-negotiable. You know why? Because He says, I'm the Creator. I made it all. I give you the breath, He says, even to blaspheme my name. That's how good he is. You can't curse him unless your cells develop normally and don't develop cancer and kill you. And the only reason they're doing that right now is because God is making sure every cell division of the billions going on right now is happening exactly the way he wants them to. That's how close, how personal, how predictable, how absolutely precise is the sovereign governance of God over every molecule of this universe. And it's all for a purpose. This story, as I said, is part of the gospel story. Dear child of God, do you realize something here? If God is sovereign like He says He is here, then why do we worry? So easy to preach that, isn't it? So easy to hear that and walk out of here and go, yay, no worries. Except there are. Except we're anxious. But this is the only way we're going to get through that. Is if we recognize every bit of your schedule, because He's sovereign over that too. Every bit of your life is in his hands. Therefore, nothing's going to happen to you outside of his plan. Or me. The hard times. The good times. Yes, even the sin in our lives. 
doesn't excuse us from committing it. We can't look at God and say, well, you're totally sovereign and therefore I, you, know, you made me sin. No. That's not how it works. It does mean that your sin is part of your story. And He will use even the things you regret the most and are the most ashamed about to build the story He has for you to make Jesus look glorious in your story, dear believer. And if God is this kind of sovereign, it also means mission is essential. See, He's a missionary God. He sends His beloved child Joseph into Egypt to further the mission. Didn't look that way to Joseph, didn't it? Might not look that way in your life. How is what I'm going through furthering the mission? Here's my answer. I don't know. I don't know what God's doing in your life. I'm bewildered by some of the stuff He does in my life. I do know this. Everything, if you're a Christian, everything that happens to you is on mission. And it serves the end of making Jesus Christ look glorious. It serves the end of making Jesus look and show the world precisely who He is, the King. He reigns. Not Pharaoh. Not whoever gets elected. Not who's ever king in Egypt or Africa, anywhere else. No. Only King Jesus. He alone reigns. And He, he holds your life in His hands. And if you're a Christian he loves you so dearly that He's saying, just like He said to Joseph, when it doesn't make sense, I have not abandoned you. I am still walking you through to the end. Through the valley of the shadow, as our youth choir sang to us. My friends, everything in your life matters because it's part of this grand larger story. A story of the kingdom. You just prayed for it. Thy kingdom come. Here's what it looks like. The overthrow of false gods, false ideologies. The hope, unquenchable hope, that no matter what happens here or around the world, Jesus reigns. He preserved a people for Himself. He will continue to preserve the lives of His people for as long as you and I need to be here. And then when we die, we're with Him. And then guess what? One day history will close and everybody will see what's always been true since that cross was raised up outside of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago that the one who looked at the weakest on the cross is actually the King of kings, Lord of lords, maker and sustainer of all things, and He still reigns. I had a friend send me a song this morning by Andrew Peterson, and if, if you haven't listened to him, just do yourself a favor and listen to him. Marvelous singer-songwriter. The song is called Always Good. And here's how it ends. You're always good as we try to believe what is not meant to be understood. Will you help us to trust your intentions for us are still good? Because you laid down your life and you suffered like I never could. 
See, that, that just brings together what we're talking about, doesn't it? We can suspect God's intentions when we go through awful circumstances. But that's because He's calling us to trust Him when we don't understand. And the, the best proof is the cross. In fact, the cross is the best proof of at least three things that matter to your life every day. God is good. God is love. And God intends us good all the time. Even when it doesn't feel good in the moment. That's what the cross tells us. That's why Joseph has given these dreams, to give us the cross. No cross without Christmas. No Christmas without Pharaoh having a bad night. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for Your Word. Thank You for the hope it gives us of the ultimate triumph of You, Lord Jesus. We want to sing Your praises right now because You are so worthy. Worthy are You to receive blessing and honor and riches and glory and power. For You have taken Your great power and reigned. And we ask that You would do that for us now. In Your mighty name, Lord Jesus, we pray. Amen.